You are Jesus, Son of God, the Lamb who came down from heaven and died in our place to forgive us of our sins. Lord, we are the redeemed. We are your children. But sometimes we still struggle with sin. So this morning, as we finish up your teaching on prayer, and we see how to overcome temptation, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and that you would help us to listen to what you have to say to us so that we can grow. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and allow me to speak your truth and that the things that you have for these people to hear would stick out, Lord. And if there's anything that I say that is contrary, Lord, I pray that that would be forgotten and that you would be glorified in this time. Amen. just been rickrolled. Rickrolling is an internet phenomenon that started in 2007. It is a bait-and-switch technique where you trick someone into watching the music video Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. It usually happens when somebody posts a video online like exclusive footage of this new movie that's coming out and some unexpected person says, sweet, I want to see that, and they click on the link and they have to suffer through that video. <laughs> and oftentimes, it makes people feel tricked and even tortured because it's so cheesy. The worst part, though, of being rickrolled is trying to get that song out of your head. <laughs> Giving into temptation is a lot like being rickrolled. We have this expectation that our sin is going to make us feel good. And it's going to fulfill our needs and our desires. But in the end, we feel tricked and full of shame. 
We're going through a series right now on the Lord's Prayer where we are examining Jesus' teaching on prayer from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And I believe this is applicable to us today because prayer is such an important part of following Christ. Yet many times we find that our prayer life is frustrating because we lack confidence, we lack focus, and we feel like we're just going through the motions. But Jesus prayed differently. His prayer life experienced intimacy with the Father. And it was more than just communication with God. It was communion with God. And Jesus' prayer life was a much deeper relationship with God. And it was a vital part of who he was. And as followers of Christ, it needs to be a vital part of our lives as well. So let's examine his teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Please follow along with me as I read Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today we are on the last phrase of this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To me, this is kind of a weird thing to ask. Because it feels like we're asking God to not do something that he really can't do. Right? He can't lead us into temptation. So to clarify things, let's take a moment and talk about what temptation is. Temptation is when we have a desire to do something, think something, or say something that is contrary to what God desires for us. It can be a desire to do something we know that we shouldn't. And I think most of us are familiar with that. You know, we all have things that we know we shouldn't do that we want to do anyway. But it can also be a desire to not do something that God wants us to do. We see that in a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 21, verses 28 through 31. When Jesus is telling the story, he says, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later, he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. The son answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. We see here in this parable that both sons were facing the temptation of not doing what their father asked them to do. And in the end, one son did what the father asked, and the father or the other son did not. Both were tempted, but only one did the sin of not doing what he's asked. And I think we see from this that temptation and sin are not the same thing. Sin is thinking, doing, or saying something that is contrary to what God desires. Sin can be boiled down to us desiring to live apart from God. It's this idea that rather than trusting God to provide for our physical needs, our emotional needs, or even our spiritual needs, we take matters into our own hands. 
and we try to fulfill those needs outside of his will for our lives. I like to think of it of a give versus take. Rather than letting God give us what we need or what we desire, we take it. Temptation, on the other hand, is a desire to sin. I like to think of the difference between the two as the difference between a door and a room. Sin would be the room. Once you've entered into the room, you are doing wrong. But the mere fact that you come to a door does not mean that you are in the room. Temptation might lead to sin, but the mere fact that you are facing it does not necessarily mean that you are sinning. An example from my life is sometimes I wake up in the morning and I really don't feel like doing my devotions in the morning. I feel like, God, I'm just tired. I'd rather just get some stuff done or play video games or do something else. I really don't want to spend this time. I just, I just don't feel like it. Yet, in that temptation, I know that it's something that I should do. And so I do it anyway. And I believe that in those moments, God is actually glorified in that. That I'm not allowing my feelings to dictate my actions. I'm not allowing the temptation to not do what I'm supposed to do to bring me into sin. So where then does temptation come from? We read in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. We see here, God does not create the temptation. It usually is just there as a fact of life. It's something that comes to us in our path. And I believe there are really two reasons for this. The first is that we have a sinful human nature. Because of the fall and the fact that Adam and Eve disobeyed, we now have this nature inside of us that gravitates toward sin and doing what is wrong. Secondly, we have an adversary, an enemy of God, and because we are his children, an enemy of us, that wants to bring us down. And he desires to put things in front of us that take us away from doing God's will and make us feel bad about ourselves. Because his misery loves company, and he wants to bring us down with him. But again, we see in James 1, 14 through 15, that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their evil desires and enticed. Then that desire gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. So we see that temptation plays on our desires and entices us to move us into sin. Last week, during Brandon's sermon, he told the story of an unmerciful servant, this was a man who had owed many, many dollars. In today's terms, it would be billions, maybe even trillions of dollars. And 
He went before his master expecting condemnation. And his master instead had mercy on him and decided to forgive this man's entire debt. And then this man, leaving his master's house, goes and he sees another fellow servant of his and says, you owe me some money. In today's terms, it would probably be a couple thousand dollars. And is unmerciful with that servant. He doesn't show the grace that he was just shown. But instead, he demands that that man pay him back. And when the man says, I can't, give me some time, he has that man thrown into prison. And when Brandon was sharing that story, I remember sitting there thinking to myself, what would drive a guy to do something like that? Why, why would he do that? And I, I attempted to put myself in his shoes, and I thought about if I was in that place where I had so much debt, that I, just the weight of owing all that money, and knowing that I'm going to be that way for the rest of my life, like that would just be a ton of weight on me. And how would I feel then if suddenly I find myself in this situation where I'm not under that anymore? All this debt and this weight that I have ever known is gone. And I now see an opportunity to go from being in the red indefinitely to now being in the black with some positive net worth. Who wouldn't want to take that? I'm not saying what this man did was justified. Certainly what he did was wrong. But I can understand the allure of this man's temptation and what was put before him. And his main issue was that this man valued his master's wealth more than his master's character. But wealth can be something that has a giant draw on us. You see, one of the most difficult things of temptation is that it pits a tangible way to fulfill a desire against a seemingly intangible God and attempts to cause us to doubt that what God has for us is better and that God can provide us a greater way to fulfill our needs. And that is why temptation is so powerful. And I would make the argument that left to our own, every time we faced temptation's allure, we would give into it. And we would go through that door of temptation into sin. And that brings us back to the request of the Lord's Prayer. When we are asking God not to lead us into temptation, we are asking him not to take us to the place where we would go if he didn't lead us. I believe the emphasis on this phrase is in the phrase, lead us. We're saying, God, lead me not to where I would go without you. The beauty is that God promises to always lead us if we let him. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, which says, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We see that although temptation has a strong pull and 
plays on our desires, if we let God lead us, he will provide a way out and deliver us. And this is the request from the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The idea of deliverance is that when we face temptation, we are asking God to lead us the way out of it. Some of you are sitting there thinking, okay, David, I get that when I'm facing temptation, I need to let God lead me. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I believe that our Trinitarian God has created us for relationships. And it is through relationships that we grow as followers of Jesus. And it's through relationships that we can get some tools in our tool belt that help us to fight temptation and its allure. And I would like to offer you today two really important relationships that will help you overcome the power of temptation. There's this ancient legend about an Indian chief who takes his son and desires to teach him an important story. And he says to his son, Son, inside of you there are two wolves. And these two wolves are battling for your attention. One of them is a good wolf. He wants you to do good things. He wants you to honor the land when you hunt. He wants you to treat your fellow tribe with respect and honor. And he wants you to live an honorable life. The other wolf is a bad wolf. This wolf wants you to give in to your desires that are bad and wants to pull you away from all that we stand for as a people. And the son looked up at his dad and said, Daddy, which wolf wins? Which of these two wolves is going to have a victory? And the Indian chief looks at his son and says, the one that you feed. I believe there are two wolves in us doing battle. Our sinful nature and our relationship with God. And I have found that when I prioritize my relationship with God, that when I feed that relationship through meditating on Scripture, through praying throughout my day, when I allow God into my thought life, that sin and temptation is almost a non-issue for me. It's when I allow my relationship with God to grow stale that sin has a way in. And so I find myself in those two places. And I think when I have a strong relationship with God when I'm feeling him, that's where I want to be. Because oftentimes, when God is, really has a strong relationship with me and I'm allowing him to lead me in my life, sin comes in and tries to tempt me. And I think to myself, right now, I have a vibrant, intimate, amazing relationship with the almighty, loving God who created me. And you want me to damage that for a few moments of fleeting pleasure? No way. Why would I do that? 
the single greatest way that I have found to overcome temptation and sin in my life is to prioritize my relationship with God and feed my God wolf. When it comes to temptation, we can prioritize our relationship with God and allow him to lead us by inviting him into our struggles. I think this is something that's counterintuitive, though. Because oftentimes, when sin is tempting us, we have this idea that we need to keep God out of it. God is holy. I can't let him into my thoughts. I can't let him know the things that I want to do or say. He's a holy God. I can't do that. And God becomes the farthest thing on our minds when we're facing temptation. But I think when we're in the battle of sin, one of the best things that we can do is pray and invite God into our struggle. And we can do that by telling him honestly how we're feeling. Let him know our sinful desires. And just say, hey God, I'm really wanting to do this sinful thing right now. I'm really struggling to keep you as my priority. And I really want to go and do this really bad thing that I know that will hurt And I know that's something that can be counterintuitive, but he's a big God. He can take it. But I have found that when I do that, when I invite him into my temptation, it helps to squelch the power of temptation. And it helps me to focus on him and doing the things that he wants me to do. Another thing we can do to grow in our relationship with God in temptation is to ask for the Spirit's help in overcoming sinful patterns. Here's something that I want you to do. The next time that you find yourself on the bad end of a battle with temptation and you have failed to honor God and you've given in to temptation and gone through that door and are in sin and you're feeling bad about it, I want you to do three things. First thing is confess the sin to God. Tell him that you're sorry. The second thing Embrace the forgiveness that he offers and know that he can show you grace and that he completely loves you and will put that sin behind you. And the third thing that I want you to do is ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you went wrong. I say this because most of the time, I think when temptation hits, it's not something that's new. It's not something that I haven't faced before. It's something that I've already gone through. And there are usually patterns or cycles that we go through that lead us into temptation and into sin. And I believe that if we ask God to reveal those patterns and those cycles to us, we can learn how to cut it off at the beginning before the desire becomes strong. And I think it's a healthy and a wise thing to study your sin and to know how it brings you down and to figure out its triggers. I think for me sometimes, I know in my life, when I'm preaching, I feel like sometimes the devil really wants to bring me down in that time and I can feel the spiritual warfare that gets amped up during that time. And and so I've prayed about that and I've asked God to reveal those things to me. And so I know that when I'm preaching, I need to be extra careful and I need to spend extra time 
on my relationship with God. And I need to let the people know that have been praying for me and hold me accountable. Hey, I'm preaching this week. Keep me in prayer. Keep talking to me. It's knowing the things that trigger our temptation. Knowing those things can help us to cut it off a mile away before they become an overpowering temptation for us. I believe the best way to beat those bad habits is to replace them with good habits. And that's what Romans 12 verse 2 talks about when he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Did you hear that? Don't conform to your pattern, the pattern of this world, the sinful pattern, but renew your mind. When we develop good habits, we train our minds to stop conforming to those habits and start transforming into the likeness of Christ. And there are many, many good habits that we can develop to overcome the power of temptation. Here's a few of them that I thought of. First one is memorize scripture verses that deal with temptation. And when you start feeling your triggers or when you start feeling the allure of temptation, recite your scripture verses. Keep your mind focused on God and on his word. Secondly, make a list of the blessings that God has given you. Remind yourself of God's goodness and how he is superior to anything that temptation can give you. Thirdly, remind yourself of how the guilt and shame of sin feels. Remind yourself of those things. Fourthly, remind yourself of your identity in Christ. I have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am his child. And I am no longer a slave to those desires. Fifthly, and I learned this one from Bill Allison, who's the guy that spoke at districts this year. Yeah, I saw that smile, Katie. He rocks, doesn't he? But he gave a seminar on overcoming temptation. And he was specifically talking about the story of Joseph, who was um, dealing with a sexual temptation from Potiphar's wife. And Bill told one of his keys to overcoming temptation in his life is that he writes down on a three-by-five note card a list of all the people that he loves and that love him. And that would be hurt if he gives in to temptation. And whenever he's feeling the allure of temptation, he takes out that card and he reads those names. And it helps him to overcome that temptation. Another good habit that I have found is something that I like to call summoning an ally. But that leads us into the second relationship, having an accountability partner. I have to be honest with you. For most of my life, I really hated the idea of accountability. It's not that I didn't want it. It's that I felt like every time I tried to get it, it failed me. I've had so many people in my life that I've asked to hold me accountable that didn't do a very good job. They had great intentions. They wanted to, but I don't feel like they really put much effort into it. They never really asked me how I was doing. And maybe for a week or two, they would talk to me, but after that, it just kind of fell off the wayside. 
And I became really disillusioned and frustrated with the idea of accountability. Even to the point where every time somebody would talk like this about accountability, or I'd read about it in a book, I would roll my eyes. And I would say to myself, that doesn't work. And then I had a conversation with a friend on the phone. We were just talking on the phone. He's somebody that lives in a completely different state. And I had a very acquaintance-type relationship with him. He wasn't even really a friend. And he was telling me about how his life was going, and he was telling me about this man that he had a relationship with in his life that they had for many, many years, and that they would talk every week on the phone, and they would encourage each other, and they would hold each other accountable, and they would read books together. And he was talking about how life-giving this relationship was. And I felt in that moment the Holy Spirit's prodding, and I decided to give accountability one more chance. And so I asked him, hey, I feel like I've never had that in my life. Would you be willing to have that kind of a relationship with me? And he agreed. And it has become one of the greatest catalysts in my life for growth. And our relationship is very, very intentional. Most of the time, or previously when I thought of accountability, it was kind of like, you know, you meet and you talk and you said, How did, how'd you do? Eh, not very good. Yeah, me neither. And it's just kind of this shame-filled thing. But what I have found is that accountability can be very intentional and we invest in each other's lives. We read books together, we pray for each other, and we hold each other accountable. Every week we have a meeting on Thursday morning where we talk and we are reading um, books together and we talk about those books. We talk about the things that God is teaching us in our lives and we are honest with each other about the things that we're struggling with and how our war against sin is going. He knows my struggles and he is able to show me grace when I mess up and balance that grace with a challenge to follow Christ better. We also have decided to text each other every day and say, hey, how are you doing today? You know, just want to encourage you to follow Christ, encourage you to do the things that God is calling you to do and not do the things that bring you down. One of the greatest aspects, though, of this relationship is that thing that I call summoning an ally. Because I have studied my sinful habits and I know when sin is coming up, when it's on the horizon, one of the first things that I do is I give him a call or I text him. And I say, hey man, I feel like I'm in a place where sin might be coming. I feel like I can see some of the triggers around me, like I'm preaching this Sunday. And I am absolutely amazed at how the simple idea that somebody else knows that I might be struggling kills that temptation. It kills it. He is so awesome. He calls me a couple hours later. And every single time that I've done this and I've told him, hey, I feel like I might be facing temptation, and he calls me, I've always been saying, you know what? I haven't even given it thought. It hasn't even been there in my mind. It's not even a desire anymore. It's just gone. And I believe that God desires to have those kind of relationships where we can be open and honest with other people 
and we can allow them to come into our lives and work with us in this battle for sanctification. And that relationship has been so awesome in my life that it has made all the struggle to find an accountability partner totally worth it. If you are serious about desiring to resist temptation in your life, I highly encourage you to find somebody that you can have that kind of relationship with and that you can be open with your struggles and you can summon them as an ally when you are facing temptation. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we close it with the doxology that reads, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Although this was not part of Jesus' original teaching on prayer and was probably added later, I believe is a very fitting way to close the prayer because it turns the focus back on God and reminds him of his character and sovereignty. It provides us with a reason to resist temptation because we know that God has a kingdom that is waiting for us and that is full of his glory and power. And when we face the tangible grasp of temptation, we can cling to the truth that what God has for us is better. Through a strong relationship with God and an accountability partner, we can see that God will lead us out of temptation and we can see victory in our fight against temptation as he delivers us from evil. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are such a great, awesome God. Lord, and we know that even though sin has a strong pull, you are stronger. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the relationships that we need to have with other people and that we would overcome temptation and sin in our lives. Amen. Thank you.